invite you to listen carefully and listen well to Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, We continue this morning in our treatment of the Ten Commandments. Um, We've been doing this for some weeks now. We're in Exodus chapter 20. And um, you can see I'm going out of order now, right? I did four, and now that's number ten. So something's up. What is it? Well, this morning in our new Consecration Sunday kind of program, it's the minister's responsibility to preach on the theme of stewardship. And... Uh, next week, it will be Wally's turn to preach on stewardship. Wally, who, who will be our guest leader, uh, whom you know and who has preached here before uh, and typically worships um, at 9 o'clock at that service. And so I'm looking forward to his leadership and participation in this. But this morning, this is my job. But I want us to keep going with the Ten Commandments. I want to connect to these things, uh, this life of stewardship and this life of, of keeping the commandments. And so, um, in order to do that, I've got a handout. I don't do this a whole lot, but um, it's two-sided. And last Tuesday evening, the session, uh, along with um, spouses and leaders in our congregation, Sunday school teachers and uh, uh, program leaders and so on and so forth, got together, met in the fellowship hall, and had a meal Uh, And afterwards, Wally spoke with us and shared some things. And then the folks who were elders in your congregation began to tell stories very similar to Chuck's. And uh, and that was of great encouragement and a lot of fun. It was was fun to be able to open up. And I think Wally has um, this real gift where he's able to speak in such a way um, that it just sort of, I think, opens us up to to not have to put the mask on. It it allows us to just kind of take a deep breath and talk about where we are, and that was the conversation we had, and it was wonderful. As part of that, I decided to type up just a a, a little sheet that would speak to uh, one of the, I think, good things that's happening here in terms of the giving that's taking place at Newland Presbyterian. And so when you think about uh, a church budget, things typically fall in four areas. And for a small church like ours, personnel is the largest expense there. Um, That's just the biggest part of our budget. And of that, I'm the most expensive part of of the personnel, uh, which sometimes a little self-conscious about, but that's the reality of it. So personnel is a big part. This building was built in 1963. It has some maintenance and upkeep responsibilities and costs. The building is another big part of our expenses here. Presently, there is a blockage from the fellowship hall sinks, which come back and then feed into the drains and then out into the sewer line. And somewhere there is a stoppage. The plumber's been here about three or four days this week and keeps pouring stuff down the line that's supposed to get rid of it, but it's not. So just another example of the constant sort of 
um, upkeep that goes on with the building like ours. Then, after you think about personnel or about the building, um, you can think about the ministries that take shape. And, and, and you might want to think uh, in terms of sort of an internal kind of thing. Uh, the, the programs, the Sunday school materials, uh, the chairs that go in the fellowship hall for family night supper, all the, th- the food that we are receiving from um, Daniel Boone Inn. All of these things kind of add up, and that's sort of the internal ministry, and that's some of where the money goes. And then the final piece is what you might think of as, as external uh, mission giving. And that's the money that makes its way outside of these walls and into our community and into the lives of people around us. As it participates, we hope and pray in the mission of God in our community. And so that's what I've broken down in this sheet. And just wrote a couple little things. Um, you know, God continues to be so very good to the Newland Presbyterian Church. The Lord is developing in us together a variety of spiritual and material resources. Since we are receiving these things from the Lord's hand, our church leadership is striving to be good stewards of that which Christ entrusts to us. So here's an important line. It is our purpose to keep increasing the percentage of our budget that we give away. So for example, in 2014, we were able to give away $3,450 which was 2.4% of giving to mission and ministry in Avery County and around the world. That's outside of the church. And in 2021, uh, so far in our budget, we have $14,848 to be given to a variety of causes, some of which has already gone out and some, there are a few checks left to be written, I think. Um, And this comes to 7.1% of our budgeted expenses. And so you can see there's, there's some percentage growth uh, happening there. And our goal is to reach 10%. That's just, I mean, who knows what the goal will be after that, but our immediate goal is to, is to uh, build that to the point where our church can give away 10% of our budget so that we as a congregation tithe in the same way that we all as persons are invited to tithe. And that's happened in a very systematic, sort of progressive way. Each year we try to increase the percentage amount that we're able to give. And what you can see below that is a breakdown of where that money's going this year. And I won't get into it, but basically we've tried to balance global giving. So Nicaragua, partnership there. Guatemala, partnership there. Um, Not this year, but at times Malawi has been a focus of that giving. And then... Along with that global focus, there's a regional focus. The Malin Fellowship, of which we're a part, has scholarships, are giving to Presbytery, contributes to uh, sort of a regional aspect. And then there's the local giving, like to reaching Avery Ministries or feeding Avery families or uh, to the Avery County Board of Education to help kids with school supplies on the way back to school, um, these kinds of things. And additionally... It is the practice of the church here, going back a long time, that if a a person comes to the church and says, I don't know how I'm going to pay my power bill this month. Can you help? The way that that is typically handled is that that request is passed on to the women of the church who, at their monthly meeting, take up a monthly offering. And uh, along with those accumulated offerings, when a request is made along those lines, 
in October, November, December, the winter tends to be uh, a lot of requests because it gets cold and people have to pay for fuel and those sorts of things. Um, that money will be distributed typically out of the women of the church. And so far this year, they have given somewhere around $3,000, and the next three months tend to factor significantly in that overall expenditure and giving. And so um, to this point, total giving for the year is a bit more than $17,800. And so we thank God for that, and we can see some, some growth and movement and momentum in that. Um, a few of the folks on Tuesday night said, this was really helpful. Thanks for breaking that down. And so I thought that you guys might also like to see this. What I want to do is connect our stewardship here at Newland Presbyterian Church with the Ten Commandments. Because if stewardship as we think about it in terms of a church budget or finances or your personal budget and how you're going to give and how God will lead you to give in the coming year, um, that's stewardship of largely of, of finances. But the commandments guide us in how we steward our whole lives, everything, all of who you are, which includes your finances and what God has given you to steward, but it includes time, it includes your heart, it includes your relationships, it includes everything, your orientation to God and other people, everything in between. And so the two actually mirror one another or, or reinforce one another very nicely. So I'd like us to think about that. And I also, to begin, want to make this point, if I can, clearly. I'll make it rhetorical to begin with. Um, you know, as our church works towards tithing on our budget, part of the encouragement of this program is to work towards tithing in your own personal life, in your own giving. Uh, the average gift of a person who goes to church two or more times a month in the United States, regardless of denomination, is somewhere around 2%. And so that's, that's a bit of a distance from the 10% that, that the scriptures encourage us to give. If you look at our budget in 2014, how much was it? 2.4, right? We're working towards the tithe just like maybe you are. But I also want you to hear this, that maybe it, maybe it so happens that the circumstances of your, your life are such that in 2022... As you pray and converse with God about that, you need to back off. Maybe you give 2% now and you say, I don't know, these things have changed. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't think I can. In fact, I think the Lord wants me to step back a little bit. I need to give less. And if that's the case, then do that. This isn't about trying to make people give more and more, do more and more. It's about asking God what God wants from you. Um, being responsible for the things he does bless you with. And so, uh, as, we, as we think about that, in the context of working towards a tithe, I want you to think about the Ten Commandments. Would it be possible for a person to know salvation, to, to enter into God's salvation without tithing in their lifetime? Question? Yeah. Is it possible for you to know salvation without keeping all the commandments? I sure hope so, right? I, I really hope so, because if I start reading those, I'm like, well, I'm in trouble, right? This isn't about keeping rules in order to earn something. Making sure you do enough so that you can meet some 
extraneous duty that is placed upon you. The way the commandments start, do you remember it? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God's already done that. Now, have no other gods before me. Giving, stewardship, keeping the commandments, all of this is in grateful response for what God has already done for us. Christ has already gone to the cross for you, right? You can't add anything to that, but you can respond to it in gratitude and appreciation. As Chuck has said, we've received God's blessing, and now our lives are called to become to grow more in the image of Christ's life, who pours out His life for others, so that we too can be a blessing like God is, because you are now a part of Christ's body. And God blesses people through His body. So don't come into this with guilt and rules and these kinds of things. Come into it recognizing that God has already claimed you, and now invites you to participate in what He's doing. That's a big and important distinction to make. Um, so maybe if you need to go from 2% to 1%, God's grace will be enough for you. If you need to go from 2% to 12%, God's grace will be enough for you. Uh, and He will use you in both of those avenues to be a blessing to other people. Um, this handout has another side, though. Did you see my, my wonderful artwork? Yeah. So it's like a doorway there, isn't it? With a path that goes through. Uh, it's not a very good path because Ina looked at it and said, boy, that looks like a curtain. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe it's a curtain that opens to a path. Ina, come on. Give me a, give me a break here. Uh, so you got the Ten Commandments. I wrote them down for you so that we could begin to remember them better, perhaps. And if stewardship offers us a time, New Consecration Sunday offers a time to think concretely about our, our stewardship of life, so too do the Ten Commandments open us up to that possibility. And we've used, do you remember my, all the hand motions? I bet you do. When we think about the commandments, we're wanting to go deeper than a list of rules, so we've thought about um, interacting with them as, as the medieval theologians did, as some of the reformers did. A pattern uh, John Burgess kind of introduced to me, one of my professors, in a book he's written, so we broaden them as we think about them. Remember that? We internalize them, and then we reverse them. Remember that? Let's do it. Come on, I want you to remember it next week, not just today. So we, let's do it. Let's broaden them, internalize them, and reverse them. Okay, that's a tool that maybe can help you go deeper in each of the commandments and show you the, the fruit of them. Um, what I want to give you now is another way to do that. Here's like another little tool that can help you if you meditate upon the commandments. So, some folks have said, let's begin with the first commandment. What is it? You shall have no other gods before me. How in the world do I keep that, Lord? What do I do with that? Some folks have said, well, if you want to keep the first commandment, the next nine are there for you so that you can know how to live that out. So if you want to have no other gods before the Lord, how would you do that? Make no graven images. Don't bow down before them or worship them. The Lord our God's a jealous God. Um, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. 
We want to have no other gods before God. We don't trample on God's name or use it as a curse. We actually worship it and lift it up as the highest thing. If we want to have no other gods before God, we remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As a day of worship and communion with God. We don't knock ourselves out for six days working away and then collapse in a heap resting for ourselves. No, we rest first in God so that everything else we do flows out of that. That's how we have no other gods before God, especially ourselves, right? If we want to have no other gods before our God, not only does the first part of the commandments apply in terms of our relationship with Him, but also Jesus says, or First John says, excuse me, um, that if you say you love your God but hate your brother, you, you're a liar is what it says. You, you actually don't love God because love of God and neighbor are so intertwined can be examples of one and the same. And so the tablets turn to the second part, loving our neighbor, the first of whom is that we encounter in life typically is our mother and our father. We honor the, our mother and our father. Um, if you want to have no other gods before your God, don't kill your neighbor but you respect that one in whose image he or she is made, uh, made in God's image. Uh, don't commit adultery. Have no other gods before our God. Do not steal or take what God has given to someone else. Do not bear false witness. And then do not covet. If we want to worship God and have no other gods before our, our God, then the next nine commandments help us to do that and show us how. But here's the thing. Y'all know I was coming back to number 10 sometime or another, right? We could also the same, say the same thing applies in reverse. When you finally come to the end of the commandments, you realize when it says, do not covet, that actually if you don't covet what belongs to God or neighbor, you can keep the rest of them. What does covet mean? Yeah, that's great. So does it, that was the first word this morning at 9 a.m. was desire, was one of them, or want, what belongs to someone else. Or um, another word that was interesting that was used was envy, to be envious or to be jealous. All those are really helpful as we think about coveting. It says don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's male servant or female servant, or ox or donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's, the things that belong to other people, to covet, excuse me, to covet them is to want to take what they have and keep it or get it for ourselves. We desire wrongly what God has not given us to have or to hold or to steward. This word envy was a helpful distinction. Envy and jealousy, because they both connect to, to coveting. To be jealous of someone, right, is to really want what they want. Like if I walked in here with a big plate of biscuits, you might feel a little jealous, right? You might say, man, that looks and smells good, and I'm hungry, and noon's coming up. Michael, do you see noon's coming up? Yeah, lunch is coming to happen soon. You might be jealous of that plate of biscuits, but if you envy me, you would just not, you, you might want them yourself, but even more than that, you would not want me to have them. So there's the distinction. And they both connect with wrongfully desiring either to have what someone else has or not wanting them to have it. I have to watch the envy piece 
um, when I learned of that distinction, that, that, that is something I struggle with. If I see someone that I would think of myself in being some form of competition with, uh, have success, it's easy for me to be like, oh man, I wish they were not doing so well. <laughs> and it's not really because I want that. I just don't want them to have it because I feel like it bears on me in some way when it actually doesn't at all. So that's something I have to, this commandment is important for me and for my life. It's, you know, you might have another one that particularly pertains to you, but this one does to me. Um, so as we're thinking about not coveting, they actually help us keep the rest of the commandments because to covet is to wrongfully desire, to be jealous of or to be envious of things that belong rightly to God or to your neighbor. So let's go through them. Have no other gods before me. The fall is about what? Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree or you will surely die. Eve passes by. The serpent speaks. Hey, eat of the fruit of the tree. Because if you do, when you do, you will be like God. Knowing both good and evil. It's the basic temptation we face. And we coveted. Humanity covets to have the place that belongs rightly to God. We talked about other gods and talked about the demons and things like that, but I think most of all, our greatest temptation is to supplant God with ourselves. So we keep reaching for things and keep grabbing things, and we try, we're like huge vacuum cleaners that want to take the whole world and just suck it into ourselves for ourselves, right? The fall starts with covetousness, wanting God's place for our own. The second follows from it. Graven image. Don't make for, for yourselves graven images of a God that you can control, that can be under your thumb, that you can manipulate, right? Um, don't take the names, name of the Lord in vain. We want to take God's name and misuse it. Um, we, we wrongfully desire to make use of is part of what is at the core of that. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, we, my goodness, how many of us are tempted to keep the Sabbath day for ourselves? Oh, man. Any number of things that, well, I'm preaching to the choir here, aren't I? Right? You all are here this morning, but how many things are just tempting us out there? We want them, and so we pull away from the Sabbath to chase after other desires, other uses of our time, so we spend it on me rather than the Lord. Honor your father and mother. Um, to not do that is to want to take your parents' place in some way. Right? Um, there are a lot of mythic stories about folks who did that, right? Trying to supplant the father. But do you remember being a teenager? And your parents had authority. And you wanted to have their authority so that you could have the freedom to make whatever decisions that they made for you. And it's a natural progression because you have to grow as an individual to be able to make good decisions, but you're not yet ready when you're 13 to decide how late you'll stay up at night or what you'll eat for supper because if you were like me, you would eat Skittles and stay up till four. I mean, that's just how it works, yeah? So you, you need to have your parents' authority. God's given you that authority for good reason. Uh, do not kill. To desire the control of someone else's life or death do not commit adultery. To desire, to want, to take 
another's spouse. Do not steal. You desire and want to take and keep for yourself something that belongs to another person. To bear false witness is to want to take and control and wield the truth according to what you want it to be. If you want to keep the commandments, you could start with the first one and work through the rest of the nine, or you could start with the tenth one and think about how it applies to all the others. What I want you to see is this is much more than just a list of rules of don'ts, mostly. If it were only that, would it have shaped societies and cultures and literally the moral apprehension um, and, and carrying out of morality in the entire world? For thousands of years, there's got to be more than a list of rules you learned in Sunday school when you were nine. There's a lot here. And as we broaden, internalize, and reverse, as we begin to see that these aren't just static things, but they actually have interplay between them, we can go deeper in them. And it becomes to connect to our lives as we live them. It becomes connected to all other aspects of our lives as we steward them, even our finances, Right? Um, what I want you to see is that each of these can be broadened, internalized, and reversed. And if you reverse covetousness, what do you get? Generosity. Instead of wanting to take like a big vacuum cleaner and just grab everything, what do we do? Generosity is, is oriented the exact opposite direction. And we begin to give. We begin to bless with time, with relationship, with friendship, with love, with encouragement, with support, with space. Instead of sucking the world in, we begin to pour our lives out. And if you want to see if covetousness is part of the root of that first sin, Adam and Eve wanting to take the fruit, to be like God, to take His place, wrongfully desiring, do you know where the description of that being flipped, being reversed takes place? Philippians chapter 2. A poem, a hymn, a song that they used to sing in the church to God that says that Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself pouring his life out for others, being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on the cross. It's the complete inversion of our lives and what the commandments lead us toward, what even stewardship offers up for us is a radical reversal in our own lives and hearts. One that is practiced consistently, even as I'm you know, writing out my check or putting something in the plate. Right? It's, a, it's even a systematic way that we can see our lives turn and change be oriented not so much in here but out there Um, it moves our lives to be oriented not with ourselves at the highest point but in terms of pouring our lives out for others Um, you know our mission as a church is to lead all people can you say that in a growing relationship with jesus christ right Oh, man, that's great. Uh, yeah. So that, that's, our, that's our hope. You say, that sounds good. How do we do it? Well, our strategy, which is guiding the session, says 
that we will cultivate environments where people can grow in love for God and love for neighbor. And that's the Ten Commandments, isn't it? First four, love of God. The next six, love of neighbor. As we learn to steward our lives in this way, we begin to look, well, it's not so much backwards or reversed as it is right side up in imaging Christ. And that's something that we have to do, not on our own. You can't just steal yourself and say, I'm going to keep these commandments on my own. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need examples. We need encouragement. We need somebody to pick us up when we fall. So I'm grateful that we get to live this life together um, as a church, as a body, as we follow Jesus, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.